Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. This week we have Peter Atia, Michael Schellenberger, and good old Rick Doblin of Maps. What a legend. Joined as always by my buddy Todd. What's happening, bud? What is happening, Todd? How are you? You know what? Feeling good today, buddy. I like it. You know, did had a nice little workout. Always helps. It's important. It's important. And the Joe sun's Wood. out. It is. It's finally actually warming up a bit in freezing cold forever infinite winter Bozeman. Yeah. Let's start the show. You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. Oh, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. I like this guy. So he's a medical doctor. He always has a lot of good information. I didn't know that he was such a fight fan. I knew he had some training. I'm pretty sure he talked about it the last time he was on. But his knowledge of fighting and his connection to that world is... Is like it's good. it runs deep. Well, I felt like they were going to do the whole podcast about boxing and fighting. Yeah, this is one of the ones where I wish I would have heard the first time he was on. Right, mm. he's been on what a few times, or is this number two? At least once before. Yeah, yeah, and I think a couple of times actually. But yeah, because they didn't talk about his book or anything really about what he's doing. No, really, he's a freaking madman like kills it longevity yep science you know behind exercise and all this stuff that you and i talk about a lot he's a great person to follow his podcast has a lot of fantastic information you know it comes at you a little differently than um uh huberman's but just as valuable uh you know of a show and um it was interesting he was talking to what was it v shred about another YouTuber that has a huge following, but just basically says like dumb shit all the time. Um, you know, there's there is a lot of that out there. I mean, it's so hard to kind of work through the weeds of knowing who to follow and who not to. I mean, more plates, more dates is a great one to look at. I mean, there are some good people out there, and what I like is that they find each other in the YouTube space and give each other credibility, but. Uh, the V Shred guy has like two million plus subscribers, uh, and I watched a couple of his videos, and it is so basic. It's almost like he asked ChatGPT, you know, what's what's like five motivating things I can talk about, and it's and he's just there on this um, bench press, looking jacked, and he's just like, yeah, make sure you got good friends around you, and people hold you accountable to work out, and. It's like, duh. 
I mean, maybe I that works for out. people, though. Maybe that's like kind of what people want, but I don't think there's really valuable information there. I, so I, you know, I happen to agree well, with PT on this one. I, I haven't checked him out. I think Joe was making fun of him for making fun of that V Shred guy for just being so amateur as far as like the production. I mean, even even the other dude, the date or the sorry, the um, what's the other guy you just mentioned? The more plates, more dates. Yeah, he's super super popular. Yeah, he's right? legit though, really legit. Does great research. He's a smart guy. Well, Peter's a freaking smart guy too. And the the biggest thing I took away from this was right at the beginning when he's talking about his anger problems because mm. I struggle with that and just being super self uh, critical, critical, right? And this negative self talk that he's dealt with his entire life. I mean. He, Kind of brought that up right at the beginning. Yeah. He said he's good with drywall now because he'd punched a hole in every room in his house. I understand that anger, dude. That yeah. rage comes out a lot. And in me, I don't punch walls anymore, but I have. But hearing him talk about how he deals with it now, and it said, you know, once he was talking to his therapist or whoever he was talking about it, he he mentions how he has to train himself to realize that when he's in those zones where he gets super angry, that he has to pretend that he's talking to a buddy, that he's talking to a friend. Do you remember him saying this? Yeah. Like, if I'm going to yell at myself for messing up some code or whatever he's doing or, you know, writing his book and he freaks out and he thinks he's stupid, like, why the fuck did I say that? Or why would I think that? This is dumb. He has to almost get out of his own body and talk to himself like if he was over the shoulder of a buddy working on the same project and say, hey, man, it's okay. Why don't you try this? Why don't you do it this way? You know, because none of us would yell at our friends like that, but we're going to yell at ourselves all the time. I get it, yeah. That's a good way to think about it. You know, think of all the conversations that you and I have. And not that we've had many situations where we would be really angry with each other or confrontational, but we do it in our own way. You've wanted to kick my ass a few times. For sure. <laughs> but but like I definitely would say that every day at least once, I'm meaner with myself when I speak to myself about something I did than I ever have been with you. Right. And that happens every day. Yeah. So in a way, it's like, yeah, you're kind of like pretty mean to yourself if you don't pay attention. It's happening. Oh, dude. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm better than I used to be. A lot of times now I'll catch myself and I'll be like, oh, you doof. Mm. Like, well done for forgetting this or putting that over there. Like, I used to be way harder. I used to just be like, you fucking idiot. Like, I hear you, dude. Hard. I still do it. I still catch myself doing it. And, uh, yeah. It, well, cut it out. I think for me... <laughs> For me, the the best thing I can do now is with my son to not get angry with a two-and-a-half-year-old, which is so silly to get angry at a two-and-a-half-year-old, but all the parents out there understand it happens all the time, and I just have to remove myself from it and just try as hard as I can to sit down and try to relate to this little human, right? And and I think I'm, I'm going to try this technique. I'm just pretending that I'm talking to my friend or pretending that I'm talking to my son when I actually am, right? So that was that was a huge I, I honestly I wish he would have talked about it more, but what did he say? He's in his fifties now and it, it took him until he was forty six to realize this? Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's, a, it's just an important thing to talk about. You know, I think I think that there are people that externally might not even show much 
anger and aggression towards others. <clears throat> and this is just kind of like one of those embarrassing, shameful things that they have to carry around with them. It doesn't have to be that way. I think it's, I think it's great when people talk about it. And they've come to a different place in their life, you know? I often think of that when you see really big guys that have always been big. They're usually not super aggressive. I mean, you get a few, but they're just like these lovable kind of giant guys. And it's because in a way they didn't have anything to prove with their power, right? They were always big, big in school, big in college, whatever. And I think also because sometimes their targets, at least at bars, you know, smaller guys will have complexes around them and maybe test them. So they like have to take on this type of energy and they just ultimately are like, yeah, I don't, this has happened a lot. I don't want to be fighting. I'm not going to. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think that there probably is a lot of truth to that, but I think in Peter's scenario, it's more, this dude's been a perfectionist his whole life. He talks about you know, growing up in a pretty affluent suburban area where he's the only, you know, son of immigrant parents. So he kind of got made fun of his whole life. So there's always this self deprecation in his mind of like, like I'm not good enough. You know, what did he say? Like, even when he was in grade school, when Sugar Ray Leonard was fighting these kids, like he lost, they like brought a bunch of sugar and put it on his desk. Like, so he was getting made fun of, right? Yeah. He was getting bullied. And he's not a big dude. No. But I, it seems to me he has just always been a perfectionist. He says it himself, right? So he just never felt good enough. Yeah. And so whether he's big or small, I, I don't I don't know, you know, where that comes in in his brain of of you know that that angst towards himself. I think is more of his upbringing, right? And mm-hmm. wanting to do better to prove himself that way it had nothing to do with strength. Yeah. Yeah. And now look what he's doing. I mean, he's he's crushing, right? Mm-hmm. He's got what three kids? He said, he, you know, him and Joe both were really stoked about talking about their wives and how amazing their wives are, how lucky they are. I think that you know, bringing that gratefulness into your life is so important. Well, it's just one of those things, right? We've all been there to where our temper has betrayed us and our friendships and our relationships. It's just one of those things that if you're listening to this or you're still in a place where you struggle with your temper for whatever reason, it's definitely something that is kind of mandatory to focus on, Mm -hmm. you know? And there are ways to do it. There are people out there that can help you, and there are resources, and there are, you know, whether it be therapy or you just read about it and learn about it, meditation, who knows? But it's definitely something you want to get a control of because that's the point. You never know when it's just going to, you know, go off and you got to pay some consequences for that. And I don't know, man. It can be pretty brutal. Yeah, there you go. Better help uh, what can help you with your temper. Todd changes, well. Adam changes. Mm-hmm. Get your change on, baby. I love hearing those old stories of Rogan, uh, especially when he's training, like stuff at his gyms. And he was talking about, like, I think it was like in the early 90s, he just switched over to kickboxing maybe from his national championship run of taekwondo um, felt like kickboxing had something else to offer. You know, maybe it's kind of a slightly more aggressive fighting style, but he talked about training and or teaching with those kind of like gangster guys and being in there 
fighting with them, dropping them here and there, and just like hoping they won't shoot him. Like, how dangerous do you think those guys must have been? Well, it's good for him. Probably. It's good for him. What do you think about the the book they're talking about? The I think Peter mentioned this book called Star- Storm Before the Calm. Mm. These macro cycles that lead to transition, they happen every 30 years. There's this political and social cycle um, saying that both of these things are happening now in 2030. The last time it happened was during the Carter administration or right at the end of the Carter administration. I don't know much about it because I'm just, you know, I'm just going off of what Peter was talking about. But he was saying, according to this book, that the that the next president will be the last of the current system we have. He says the elite class will not be ruling the country anymore. Thinks we are coming to the end of a structure where people aren't following this. People will not be following the same old system after this. Huh? It Which does seems seem, to be a lot of turmoil, right? Like it. It does seem like there is a change of foot. People are pretty freaking sick of, you know, the the way a lot of things in politics are going. Well, and, and and I think there's less and less trust. There's like massive divide, but there's I think there's getting more and more independence that like I don't I don't freaking like either side here. Right, but also we have massive protests going on in France and we're right. not seeing it anywhere on the news. That is a huge problem. Dude, there's like huge protests in tons of countries. We're not seeing it. No. That whole thing about the Israel too. Millions, yeah. millions of people and the, protesting. The Dutch farmers there's there's some creepy shit going on over there we don't hear a lot about. They do not want to talk about protests. No, because people are uprising, dude, and they're scared of it. It's real. Who the, you know, this just winds me up. Like, who really is in charge of the news? <laughs> it's like someone is just like, okay, we're not going to talk about that because that's going to upset people. So we're going to just create bullshit stories about things that can upset people. Well, I mean, they certainly like upsetting us. Well, we'll get into this with Schellenberger, but just quickly, if the FBI is in on all of these tech companies that are showing us what happens on social media every day and we're getting our news from that, clearly they're a part of all the news corporations as well. I mean, yeah. there's just no doubt. No doubt. No so. doubt. Let's, let's, what, one thing that they, he did talk about, which is just like an example of, um, good behavioral training, which is the same as his aggression thing is when he thinks about dealing with his kids like if his kids are being a real pain in the ass and if anyone has kids you know they're going to do this and if you don't have kids there's going to be people in your life that you care about a lot that are going to be a pain in the ass and it, it it's true right and he said that a friend of his told him imagine being 80 years old and on your deathbed and thinking back that this moment right now where they're annoying you is the last moment you ever get with them right and the last moment you get with them at that age. Yeah, yeah. Or, or something, right? Maybe it's the last altogether. Then you'd really appreciate it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, man. It definitely makes a lot of sense. I think it just per- puts into perspective, especially when you're a parent and you realize how fast they grow. I mean, I felt like we had a kid yesterday and he's two and a half. Mm-hmm. And it just goes by so quick. You hear it over and over and over, but until you're a parent, you don't actually understand how fast it goes. Right. You just don't. Yeah. It's like trying to tell your, trying to tell anyone who's thinking about having a kid, and they're, everyone freaks out, especially men. In my, you know, at least in my 
you know, friend circle, the people that are wanting to have kids, they're freaking out. And I get it. I was right there. But it doesn't matter because when you have them, it's just so different than what you could have ever imagined. You just deal and you just make it work. Well, Jordan Peterson talks about that. He's like, that first four years is critical. It's going to be a lot of work. You're going to get very frustrated, but it goes so fast, you'll miss it, yep. number one. Yep. And if you can just work on being as patient as possible in those first four years, like so much really positive development happens, and they get to live their whole life that way. Yeah. Which is fascinating. It's huge. That's huge. So, and this brings up another fact that they talked about with women. Yeah. And it was like 50% of women that like get to 30 will never have kids. The other yep. 50% um, will... I can't remember the No, no, no. One. I got it right well, here. It says, it. okay, women that hit the age of 30, uh, 50% of them will not have kids, right? Which is a pretty damn big number. But the crazy number is that 90% of them will regret not having children. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, women want to have kids. Yeah, uh, I mean... Like, it's and, a big and, thing. Though. And then they also mentioned that for men, it's... Very depressing for men who don't have children that are in their 60s and 70s. And I think Joe mentioned this of just friends of his that he knows, maybe some comedian friends and, you know, don't have any kids, don't have a wife. They're in their 60s, maybe even 70s. And I mean, think about how that is depressing just thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, at least have a, if you have a wife and you don't have kids, to me, these stats seemed a little, seem a little skewed, at least on the men's side, because. I think if you have a strong relationship with your wife, having kids or not, I'm not sh- Maybe the woman regrets it. I don't know if the man regrets it. I'm but just they gonna, were saying that they do. But that, but that was also if you don't have a wife. Right. Then you just have nothing. Be- and you're just I, getting old on your own. I look it's at probably it. Probably like lonely much quicker if you do life that way. It's like yeah. tons of fun, tons of freedom, but boom, you hit Lonelyville. Real fast. Well, think about it. Even just us in our forties, man. I, I think about all the things I used to like to do. I used to love going to the bar. I still like going to see live music when I can. But going to the bar now sounds depressing as fuck. I don't want to go anywhere near a bar. I don't feel like going and just having drinks at the bar with friends. Like I would rather. No, not agreeing. No, I mean, I sure. I'm English, bro. I'm going to the bar. Hey, look, all I right, still chill love. Out. <laughs> What, I, what I'm getting at is the things, once you have a child, the things that matter are so different. But if you never have kids, I don't know if you actually, I don't know if it matters because you don't know what it's like having kids. You might regret the thought of not having children, you know what I mean? But you don't know what it's like, so it's different. Yeah. You probably drink a lot more if you don't have kids because you just can. Well, you definitely go on a lot more vacations with your wife if you're still partying. No doubt. What about 50% of Americans couldn't come up with about... 2500 for like routine medical shit. That's pretty scary. And then medical bills are like literally the first, second, and third fastest ways to bankruptcy. I mean, you don't really hear about that too, too much. You hear about those nightmare stories of people that just lose everything for medical bills. Yeah. But it's, you don't hear about it enough for probably what's happening. I bet it's happening a ton. Well, we don't talk about it enough. We should be. I mean, and then he talks, I mean, he's from Canada, right? So Peter's talking about how, yeah, you could get, uh, you know, in the States, you can get an MRI tomorrow and get knee surgery the next day. 
if you have enough money or your insurance good enough or whatever. And in Canada, you can't get that, but you can go to the primary care doctor and go to the emergency room, no problem, and not have to pay anything. So mm-hmm. there needs to be some sort of middle ground here, right? Like it, it's not perfect in Canada, nope. but it's definitely not perfect here. There needs to be somewhere in the middle where we can be like, okay, because really most people just go to the doctor for a checkup or a strep throat or a COVID test or, you know, these little things that add up, right? Like yeah. You go to the doctor to get on a prescription drug or whatever. Maybe you're depressed. And a lot, I think the scariest part in my mind is people will refuse to go get help because they don't want to pay out of pocket for something that really shouldn't cost thousands of dollars, but does. Yeah. Right. So they just let it fester and then well, they get sicker and sicker. And then at the end of the day, healthcare costs are way up because nobody's taking care of themselves. Well, even that thing he said, for like routine, he would get the colonoscopy in New York with, you know, mm. one of the top guys, ended up being about two grand. Then he got one in Austin that finally his insurance covered. It's like 6500 He paid 2500 out of pocket. Right. And it, it just really does make you think. And I've heard stories about wealthy people that do have insurance, but they have like the really high deductible medical stuff and everything else they pay for themselves. And I don't know if that was like a way that they themselves can like negotiate the prices or they just pay it because it's almost the same. Well, because it ends up being cheaper if you pay out of pocket. Who knows if that's always the case. But if it is, you know, I feel like that should be something people should be educated on. I don't know. It's it's there's a lot there. A lot to think about. Stay healthy, stay thin, work out so you don't have to go to the damn doctor all the time. Let's jump over to Michael Schellenberger. The Twitter files. Man. So Michael got a hold of those. Um so did Matt Taibi. They got to go through it all. That must have been fun. People were waiting a long time for those files. And, oh, lots to talk about. Yeah, Hunter, did you watch any of it? The Are Twitter we, files? Yeah, yeah, Can we watch it? No. It's you can just, just like, read it. They didn't... I mean, they probably make, like, a... I would hope that somebody makes, like, a documentary or something about it. It seems like a big deal, you yeah. know? I mean, that stuff about the Hunter Biden laptop and government control and how they kind of took over. I have a clip here I want to play. It's a little... Scary, but it gives you an idea of kind of, I don't know, what what these, you know, government folks were up to. The Department of Homeland Security just declares election infrastructure to be part of their mission of protecting election infrastructure. And that meant protecting the media environment, protecting, Protect. put it that in quotes, you know, yeah. it's creepy, it's patronizing, it's a power move. So that's the first thing that happens. They create something called the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within the Department of Homeland Security to supposedly protect the media environment from foreign influence. They create something called the the Foreign Influence Task Force with the FBI to basically start policing domestic speech on these platforms. They start organizing all the social media companies to participate in these meetings. So you had Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, in here. And he says to you, there's this critical moment where you ask about the Hunter Biden laptop. And he goes, well, yeah, um, you know, in the summer of 2020, all these FBI guys come to us saying there's going to be a hack and leak operation involving Hunter Biden. 
which is super suspicious because, as everybody now knows, the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop in December 2019. Mm. What freaked me out, and I was, I had, so by the way, I was a victim of the Hunter Biden laptop disinformation. I thought that, I, I voted for Biden. I thought that it was a, I thought that that laptop was Russian disinformation. I just bought the whole thing. And this is some, from somebody who, you're a journalist. I'm supposedly a journalist, right? I'm <laughs> so-called journalist. Yeah. So-called journalist. I mean, he's a legit journalist. But the way we got get information, it did really come at us like, oh, this is fake. And this is how we should understand it to be true. Because with social media companies and government agencies putting that out there, it turns out it wasn't. And they knew. They already had the laptop. Yeah. I, look, I, this is the way I see it, man. It, I don't like how it's one side or the other, right? I could give a fuck less whose laptop it was. It doesn't matter. And really, in my mind, talking about the laptop over and over and over is not getting to the heart of it, which is our government has been spying on us since, what, Edward Snowden told us about it in 2008? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Let's stop talking about little things. I could give a crap less about Hunter Biden's laptop. I don't care. Of course the government's hiding stuff from us. He was trying to win an election. Of course he would do that. Trump would have done it. Obviously, any political guy is going to try and hide information, just like, just like Trump was trying to hide Stormy Daniels from saying anything. It's the same damn thing. So in my mind... Why are we still talking about one side or the other, hiding this, hiding that? Everyone's hiding everything. It's a political move. Yeah, but it's significant because, like, the FBI did it. Dude. So what? The FBI's doing that no matter what. No, but they don't work for Biden. Of course they, they don't. They don't work for Trump either. Right. That is, a, that is the problem. So that's what we should be talking about, not the laptop. It should be more concerned about our government is spying on us. But again, we've known this since 2008, and no one's been talking about it. The only reason to me this I seems think you're, like... you're missing a point here. <clears throat> okay, what's the it's point? It's like, yeah, the, the NSA is spying on us. Yeah. Government is spying on us. Yeah. But this was kind of an orchestrated ploy mm -hmm. to hide something that they right. knew was like just reports. Like the press were going to get a hold of it. They were going to talk about it. And it was designed to sway an election. Yeah. Now, it's if, bullshit. If I get it's, it. If it's the Democratic camp or well, the Republican camp trying to do it, they're going to try. They do yep. it. They have gerrymandering. They have a lot of stuff that they'd like to play with, yep. right? Yep. They still have to stay within the law. Otherwise, they're going to get in trouble, you know, like Watergate. But the fact that an entire intelligence agency decided to just do it and then influence social media companies. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? It's crazy. It's like, it's not about the laptop. I don't care what's on that either, though that probably would have persuaded if people had saw that at that time that yeah. critical time they would have been like this looks nuts yeah i again though the yeah what you're saying is the bit the bigger question and the only reason i talk about the laptop again is because i don't give a fuck about the laptop i care that the fbi and the u.s government is funding others to keep information from us right they are persuading people like zuckerberg to do a thing so that and and basically blackmailing him and saying, hey, we're going to shut your company down if you don't do this, right? That's the problem. Yeah, I don't know if it was that big, but they were making it, like it 
they were making it seem like this is credible intelligence, and it wasn't. Right. It was a lie right. and a trick. Right. And then the Aspen Institute doing fake cover-up scenarios to get the journalists and people on their side. I mean, that that's crazy. Like, that is some major, major propaganda. Mm-hmm. No matter which side of the fence you're on, it doesn't matter. That is complete... It, it's just a complete kick in the nuts to our First Amendment. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. And they brought up the First Amendment a few times. I mean, look, Michael's posts are still constantly being flagged on social media. Yeah. It's it's almost like they've they've identified him and probably Matt as like, quote unquote, trouble. Like these right. independent journalists can't be trusted, even though we get such bullshit news. Like how, mu- how many posts and videos are getting flagged from CNN? Probably none. Well, and I, there's a bunch of bullshit on there. I don't want to take like, sides, why? though. I, it, this isn't about sides because the same thing's happening on the other CNN side. CNN sucks. Whether it's CNN or Fox News, they are just doing what the people watching them want to hear, whether it's bullshit or not. They're just feeding you bullshit that people want to hear. Right, but social media companies are not those companies. They they should be flagging both CNN and Fox News often for things that Maybe they seem are. like bullshit. Maybe I they don't, are. I don't think they are. Not like Matt Taibbi, not like Schellenberger, you know, not like these people that have been banned from Twitter for, like, trying to do research. Yeah, I I just, I don't know who who's paying Matt Taibbi. I mean, I like the guy. I think he's a good journalist. I think Schellenberger's well, a good journalist. Independent yeah. now, mostly. Yeah, but... You know, we don't know who's who's bankrolling him. I mean, other than the people that are subscribing to his Substack, I mean, he might be getting paid from fucking Fox News. I don't know. He would say, "I don't believe that." You don't think so? You I think just, he could be like a I just ha- undercover. I, I just have a reporter. No, I don't know. And what I'm saying is, you it's hard to tell these days who's paying who and whether they're independent or not. Yes, I. Uh, it seems to me that what's happening with the Twitter files seems to be true. But who knows what's getting hidden from the Twitter files? We're not hearing all of it. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We're just hearing what we hear from Matt Taibbi. Who's paying Matt Taibbi to talk about it? I don't fucking know. Maybe Elon's bankrolling him. I'm just saying There's a, this isn't just a right versus left or he's right, she's right. We don't know. That's true. We really don't. That's all I'm saying. But th- but this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out right. who we can trust. Exactly. And I think that somebody that would come on Rogan and talk for three hours and do it multiple times, you know, and have other reputable news people like Saga, you know, looking at um, th- this type of reporting, um, it kind of adds credibility to them. I think totally. uh, eventually heavy bias are going to be highlighted, and then you're going to get a real idea. I mean, if somebody's willing to pay these guys especially to, like, have a narrative, it's only a matter of time before that would be pretty highlighted. Is like, right. why, why do they have this, like, strange bias? Totally. What did you think about after they um, were speaking to Congress, an IRS agent shows up at Matt's house? That yeah. sounds like some sneaky-ass pressure, dude. Yeah, man. It's no, it's look, it's it's crazy what's happening, right? They are freaking out. The 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 government is freaking out. Yeah, are we are we, are we becoming like some sort of like Russian communist state where we'll like send over the government and you know members of the government to like threaten you in person? 
yeah, I mean, this Renee lady that he kept talking about with this virality project mm-hmm. and the, um, what was it? The yeah, so, yeah. You were talking about the agent showing up at his house. It was an FBI agent. I not. I didn't you say IRS? I no, thought it was IRS. I wrote uh-huh. down it was an FBI agent. Um, and then this R- Renee Darietta is was that her last name? Um. Anyway, it, you know, it talked. They talked about having needing a new church administration, right? Which happened after. Um after uh, Nixon was in Congress, right? They got everybody together, both sides, both parties. I don't think this will happen again because people are getting paid off left and right and everyone's too scared to tell the truth and lose their job. That's the problem, is there's just too much money involved. But having an administration that overlooks what the hell is going on, I don't care what side of the fence. That, That really is, to me, is the thing that needs to happen. But I just, I just don't believe it will happen. Yeah, there needs to be accountability for the truth. Well, and, and, and it should be like a truth law that only applies to politicians. Dude. And it's like, you got to tell the truth. Like regular people, me and you, we could just lie. How are we going we to we do we that? Just regular folks. <laughs> I don't know. Then, you know, fact check them and then find out where they got their information and then, you know, go into their emails and be like, yeah, you clearly lied. Well, I think it comes down to again. It's it always comes down to money, and they they both were talking about these scientific journals and these peer reviewed things and studies. Where a lot of the times, the the study ends up being just what the pharmaceutical company wants you to hear, right? And so, really, it's or it's or it's funded by the government, but it's only it will be funded if it comes with a particular outcome that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. That's just we just don't know what's true anymore. That's the biggest problem here. And I think I started mentioning that earlier when I was saying I don't know who Taibi works for. I'm not saying he works for anybody. Mm. Yeah, he's independent. We don't know like, who's bankrolling him. I like what you're saying. We should be suspicious of everybody. Everyone, you know, dude. just because someone goes on Rogan, you don't have to just be like, oh, well, they're clearly the best guy. Like if Rogan vouches for him, like we at least know he's not bought by anybody. So that's a good start. You know, unless it's like a pro Spotify spokesperson, I can't imagine that there's going to be much bias there. Let's move on to Elon looking for the Fauci files mm. or the idea now of we're the talking. Fauci files. Now we're talking. Dude, That's so tight. I, w- I saw something the other day where he categorically said the NIH has never funded gain of function research. And then even the NIH has come out and said, yeah, we did do that. Of course they have. And then they went back and spoke to him again in Congress, and he's just like, no, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah. It's There's something really funky going on with that guy. I don't know why more people are not annoyed about it. I mean, well, it, the, the people come to his kind of defense constantly. Like, oh, he was doing his best, and he's so smart, and he's saving lives. I'm like, okay, look. Okay, maybe he is some of those things, but can we not look into it then? Can we not analyze everything? If he is this great guy, why can't we just check it all and see? This this comes down to exactly Supposedly, what I was he just said, saying. He said, I don't remember or I don't know, like 200 plus times in you know his interview with Congress, which is like by far the most... That this one lawyer that knows a lot about 
you know, people that have talked in front of Congress before was like, yeah, no, it's completely unprecedented. Well, nobody he's, he's has ever done that. That he's much. a liar. He's gotta be. And and he's covering his bases, and he's scared, and he's running. And why? Why? What did you do? How did did you get us into a mess? Is this partially your fault? How do we not do this again? We need to know all those answers. I do. Again, it seems like a bit of a cover-up, and that's the scary thing about taking sides, and it's what I was mentioning earlier with Taibi. I like the guy, but I don't know what his intentions are. You know, He lost his freaking pretty damn good-paying job with Rolling Stone and then went off on his own. I don't know who's bankrolling him. I'm not well, saying anybody is. he has Substack now. Right, which is probably doing really well for him. I think he was saying he's making like, 30 grand a month off of that or mm-hmm. something which is amazing that's awesome good for yeah. him that yeah. like i see that as a positive step in the right direction that we have independent journalists doing substacks because we might get more of a truthful account of stuff but what i'm getting at with with fauci is that you have people who believed in him right and they were they were on board with anything he said because anything. someone he was, was like a god of science and everyone was so scared right yeah. Fear created that. Yeah. And now the problem is is that people are not they're not retracting from that initial stance that they took with him. It's like if you tell if people if you if you start, you know, if things start coming out that Fauci's a total fraud, which seems to be the case in my mind, or at least you can tell he's lying about something. We don't really know what yet, but people don't want to believe that because they stand by this guy. That he was like the savior at the time, and I get that. That's how he was portrayed. And there was a lot of people who were taking vaccines and were thinking, this guy's got my back, he cares about us, and they did a really good job with that. Here's my problem, though. It's pretty understood that nobody thinks the same all the time, and nobody thinks the same way their whole life. I hope not. So why do people need to lock in? Okay, so you got in arguments with a couple of your friends because you were pro Fauci and they were against it and maybe maybe they were quite condescending to you and you felt quite threatened mm-hmm. and now you have to like retract your statements because of this stuff coming out but you can't do it your ego is too That's, fragile that is the problem and you're afraid and you don't want to look like an idiot so you just want to ignore it can't we just move on that's what i hear a lot let's right. just move on everyone should just let's just forget about it and be friends and you know just we got to get past this we can't keep blaming each other well it's not about that i think it's important to find out the truth here of course we it can't is. turn our back to this and it's okay that you were really afraid and as this whole thing progressed didn't start to figure out that maybe some of it's bullshit and turn your back on it Right. Well, I mean, you, you, since I've known you, took like a pretty 180 stance Yeah, I mean, I, I was always skeptical, but because of my family and my kid going to daycare and that like the vaccine was, you know, required for daycare and that sort of thing, that... <sighs> but what I'm saying it, is you kind of evolved with it, right? You didn't absolutely. lock in stubbornly and say, I will never change my stance on this absolutely and I will not. defend these people forever and i had a hard time believing the hype and believing pharmaceutical companies but that is you know that's me looking at you know lung cancer you know and my grandfather having to quit smoking because you know 
because cigarettes are really bad. And when he was smoking two packs a day, everyone thought they were fine. Doctors were smoking six. Mm-hmm. These are the same companies that are trying to tell us it's safe. So I just wasn't that naive. Yeah. I wasn't against it, but I was skeptical, right? The problem that you mentioned is ego. People do not want to admit that they were wrong, dude. That's really all it is. Yeah. That's re- that's really at the heart of the problem is that people cannot have an open conversation and say, yeah, I was wrong, dude. At and, least most people. And here's the thing. Generally, I find that the smartest people I know are the people quickest to say, I made a mistake, what's the correct answer, and then it will build on this and then keep learning. Yeah. And they can keep adjusting and they just get smarter and smarter and make better and better decisions. And I get it. It's hard to do sometimes. And look, that's science. But take a look at you it. You literally just... You, that is you, science. You're telling me what science is. Yeah. And people can't say, well, that's science. Well, science is an evolving process. It's a fucking theory. Changes. It's theoretical, dude. You have to test and test and test and test. Mm-hmm. And then you come up with a different answer and you're like, oh, that's science. Yeah, because it's different now. Come on, people. Come on. Wake Let- up. Let's jump over to Rick Doblin. Let's finish up with some positive science. Some positive science. Positive science. Now, Rick is a legend. He is a pioneer. The Doblin Goblin. He is doing phenomenal work. I, I have friends that are therapists, licensed behavioral health therapists that want to go into the MAPS program so that they can facilitate um, psilocybin Therapy, MDMA, possibly ketamine. I think that's primarily with an MD, though. I think medical doctors need to be at all of these. Mm. But then you get therapists or psychologists that can work through the experience. Um, Just so much positive data. And the fact that he's been doing it so long with all the pushback and is now getting so much support, he just... It warms my heart. Like towards the end of the pod, they were talking about how really this is one of the most bipartisan things that is going through the government right now. The FDA are getting on board with a lot of it. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, he talks about Ted Nugent's son, and Ted Nugent is very, was very anti drug and very mm-hmm. anti psychedelic treatment. And his son wants to be a psych, um, psychedelic therapist. Yeah. That'll change a dad real quick. When, and that's the thing is there's people in Congress, whether they have you know, someone who's struggling with depression or suicidal or whatever or came back from the war. I think the key is, is the war thing, right? The PTSD and the, the results that they're seeing with MDMA in particular yeah. about people coming home from wars and being suicidal. What a shame that is, right? And they don't know what to do. And this, the, the, the data is insane how, you know, one or two trips on MDMA, you know, in this, with the set and the setting and the music and the, what, the therapy that they're doing, it, the results are profound. I don't think you need to talk to a family member that's struggling really badly with PTSD for very long to, to, to hear the pain that they're in if they're you know, capable of opening up to you at all, or you're just seeing their actions and behaviors because they're struggling so hard to yeah. function, to say to yourself, whatever it takes. 
Yeah, especially if you're the parent of that child. A hundred percent. I mean, and and that's where the bridge comes in. And he talks about this finding common ground. Finding common ground. Be the bridge, right? That's their the map's motto. Be the bridge. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, be the bridge. And it was funny how he talks about this civil disobedience when he was younger. You know, he never signed up for the draft. He kind of dodged it. He didn't put his papers in. He was scared. He talks to his parents about it. His dad was like, "Well, you're never going to be able to become a lawyer." He goes, okay, well, that's fine. I guess I'll become a psychedelic therapist. Yeah, I'll do something else then. <laughs> All right. And now look, I mean, what? It's just such a cool story. Yeah. Um. And and man, I, it's it's hopeful, right? It's very hopeful right now. Like you said, it's one of the things that we can seems to be something that Congress may be able to agree on, mm-hmm. at least for veterans and people struggling who are coming back from war if we can start there right let's start there which seems to be the case with mdma anyway well but it's mushrooms are next it's also a great example of you know to have at least one thing that potentially changes society and it's been something that's very illegal you know that both parties agree this is worth looking at. We should work together on this. There's almost no pushback. You can take that kind of cooperation to other elements of things that we're trying to pass that we fight on all the time and be like, hey, how about we approach it in a similar way? How about we just look at data instead of just the politics? They're not right. going to be able to do it with everything, but it's nice that we still have some things because it seems like they disagree on so much. But the irony of the thing that kind of, in a way, brings government together, brings the parties together, is MDMA and psilocybin. I mean, it's beautifully ironic because that's what those two drugs would do if you gave them to both parties. Of course, dude. Yeah. Everyone just needs to take we some MDMA together. We just spray all of Congress. We will find common ground real fast. And then they're just rubbing each other's shoulders and somebody yeah. puts on some techno music and... Yeah. They're just, just having a good time. Just need some water, you know? Yeah, just you got to stay hydrated. Water. Give me some water. Joe talks about his 5-MEO experience, which he's done a few times here and there. That's something that I once tried. Um, bear in mind to separate the two dimethyltryptamines. NN-dimethyltryptamine is the fractal one, where you see the entities and the creatures and maybe aliens and... and um, Elves. The elves. Yeah, the machine elves. Don't forget the elves. Is, Terrence McKenna would describe. But then 5-MEO is the one that comes from a toad, right? And it's much, much different. No visuals. It's very disassociative. You don't really know where you're at. And and I've always felt like Joe's descriptions of this were very good. They're, they're so much clearer than I can. Like, it makes sense to me when he's saying it. I'm like, that's exactly what it is. But I've always struggled to articulate it. And he's really good at this. Um, And it's it's like... He said one thing where he's like, yeah, I thought I'd really fucked up because I thought that maybe I died. And and that's kind of a thought that exists in there. Now, there are some like euphoric, loving, happy bits, but it's a very heavy experience. And it's the kind of thing that you think about for a long time afterwards. And it's one of the few experiences at least in the psychedelic realm that joe is is talked about like not really wanting to go into again and Mm. i was sure of that after i did my first one i was like wow that was amazing i don't know if i need to do that again it's but 
it's a lot. But Ibogaine, he has not done Ibogaine yet. No, he hasn't. I don't know a lot about Ibogaine. I thought it was brilliant to bring up Aubrey Marcus's dad again, who we talked about not that long ago being the creator of the Fleshlight, which I did not know. But now also, he was one of the first guys that pushed Ibogaine therapy. It's like, what an incredible family. Like, really. What did you, what was your take on uh, when Doblin chatted about the the worst part of certain drugs um, is the relationship we have with them, right? Mm. Whether they're not good or bad, but he, he, he mentioned Dr. Carl Hart, this drug policy reformer. Um, yeah, I think he's like a Brown or a Princeton professor. Yeah, and it, it just, it caught my attention to talk about how certain drugs aren't good or bad, right? They're just, it's, it depends on your experience with them and your relationship we have with them, right? Like some people, uh, you know, he talked about Jamie. He could take fucking, what did he say, like 2,000 milligrams oh, dude, of Yeah, like 1,300. <laughs> and he's still talking with people Most at a party. people would not be able to function for days. I'd be high for a month. Right, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd take, be scared to death for the first three I'm, weeks. I'm scared to take more than two milligrams of THC at a time. It, it, it just makes me weird. It gives me paranoia. Hate it. But the, and that's what, I think that's what he was getting at is that certain drugs, they're not good or bad. It depends on your relationship with them. It depends on, you know, getting the purest drugs you can, which is obviously a huge problem with all this fentanyl poisoning that's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and Gotta it's be just careful. this punish, 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 punish. You know, we're, we're setting examples by punishing people. We know that this is not working, guys. Then punishing people for doing drugs is the stupidest thing ever. It, unless you're going to give them therapy for it. Clearly, these people have a problem, whether it's with heroin or whatever. It doesn't matter what drug. And again, it depends on the person. And so making an example out of people by putting them in jail is so silly, and it needs to stop. And you know, you've got these bullshit stories on Oprah from 2001, which you and I both know was the rave days, and everyone was doing E. Yep. Super fun, but I remember them talking about these holes in the brain, right? Yeah, it sounds that? like bullshit. Dude, I thought it was bullshit then. They did a Time it magazine me. piece on scared that. scared me. Yep. They I said remember. that you're like neurons in your brain uh, break down, and then they rebuild, but they look different, um, yet you seem to function the same. We just don't know the long-term effects. Right. And it, it was even then. I'm like, how the... F- Wait a second. How are we studying this? But but how, how much research have we put into this? How crazy was that that they canceled the second show that Doblin was supposed to be on? Mm-hmm. The the benefits of MDMA they canceled the show. Yeah, pussies. And the and the woman that they had invited onto the show to do the brain scan, who had taken a bunch of ecstasy or MDMA at the time and was partying and raving whatever, did a separate brain scan. Right, that was the. That was what Doblin, I think, had mentioned for her to do. Like, get a brain scan from some other doctor because they're going to because they're gonna tweak the results. Mm-hmm. And she did. And then shows it to Oprah, whoever the producers or whatever, and they don't show the show. I mean, yeah. it's just typical. It's like what we're talking about with Schellenberger and other things. It's going to get skewed. It's Hollywood, dude. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna put out what sells. It's such, and, yeah, it's but, so dumb. But we're, I think... It seems like we're getting through that stage, right? We're getting through that stage of the bullshit. People know that it's bullshit. Well, you know, Oprah probably then would have got a huge amount of backlash 
from parents that are dealing right. with their kids that are like raving or whatever. And it's like, oh, now Oprah wants to be pro this drug that's like potentially ruining our kids' lives because everything's perception. Right. And, you know, a lot of kids were doing it and going to raves and partying. So it's, you know, parents are making assumptions. Well, and they realized that the, the monkeys were getting fed meth- methamphetamine. Oh, yeah. That whole study was a mess. Right. And the, and the, and the, was that in this one or was How that did, last week? It was a few weeks ago, but that was the original study with MDMA is yeah. that they had this negative result no, in the brain. He talks about it on here, though, too. Oh, he about did. how, yeah, it was in Johns Hopkins. The primates were dying from it, from MDMA, because the dose was so high. Or, sorry, the, um, not MDMA. They, they thought it was MDMA, but it was actually meth. Methamphetamine. How do you make that mistake? And, but the but the doses are so different, right? Like it's a small amount of MDMA that you need to get high, right? Yeah. Well, you don't need a lot of math either, right? If it's the, pure math, that'll wreck you fast. But the but the um, the amount of meth that they were feeding these primates was way higher than it should have been, and it was meth, not MDMA. See that <laughs> that to me doesn't sound like a mistake, <laughs> right? That to me right, sounds right, right, like right. somebody poisoned a bunch of mush- uh, monkeys and then went, "There you go, nuts, dude." Or absolutely. That, how about the uh, the AA founder? They talked about him for a minute, and I I had heard this in the past about oh, how yeah, he did the, LSD. The founder of AA that was his mystical experience that he had that real that made him real mm-hmm. realize, hey, I can, you know, get off of of being a booze hound. Mm-hmm. I can stop drinking, and it, I think it was because of that LSD trip that he had. Yeah, well, that you know, they said that it helps with cluster headaches. What was it? Uh, bromine. Yeah, LSD? it was a different form different, of LSD. Yeah, non psychedelic. Yeah, you can give them much higher dosages because you're not tripping. Not and fun either. Really good for getting rid of these cluster headaches that often, you know, well, not often, but could sometimes lead to suicide because they're so brutal. You know, it were. Is a cluster headache worse than a migraine? Then it sounds like yeah. It, it. said it was way worse. Yeah, poor, yeah, yeah. completely debilit- debilitating. I mean, migraines alone. Oh, are- so bad. Yeah, you can't do anything. It shuts you down. Anyway, he talked about psychedelicscience.org. Go there. Use code Rogan twenty twenty percent off. We put a link in the bio. Um, and this is one of these like you know psychedelic conferences. And let's blow it out of the water this year. Get in there, folks. It's go great. to it. It's it's amazing. Learn a lot. I'd amazing like to go. Science. I think I might go. Let's go. Yeah, we should. We should go. Let's okay. learn some things. Let's do a part on it. I like it. Um, oh, uh, the last bit I wanted to talk about um, psilocybin and doses. So um, he's talking about the effects of it. You know, microdosing, fun. Don't get me wrong. Probably good for like working through some thoughts and definitely some anxiety. If you do a gram a day, yeah, you know, kind of takes the edge off. Joe did it when he was going through the cancel stuff. Um, it helps you, with anxiety for sure. If you want to see some real results, then they're talking about higher dosage. You got to kind of push through. Get. He gave the example of the plane. You got to go real high. Yeah. Get past the turbulence. Yeah. And then you know you kind of break through. And then you can do some real work on yourself, and the, and you know right. that should be guided. You I should gonna, have. I a was just going to say there. that this is not taking an eight the shrooms and going and partying with your boys. No, no, this you want a professional is, there. 
going in with an intention, having the eye mask, having the music, mm-hmm. you know, writing things down. I'm ready, dude. I need it. It sounds it sounds three good. Point, and then, 3.5 grams and or more. Also, it looks like they've raised enough money, over $100 million for the MDMA research. The FDA is looking at all the ways that they've done it. There's very little toxicity, you know, very few side effects. You know, you get a bit sweaty. But of course you do. You're having a great time. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going to get hot. What, are you going to ban going to the gym because you got sweaty? Like, But they're doing the research well. The studies are good. And, you know, the FDA, uh, you got to think with a lot of medication that gets passed, when it comes to some drug that was banned and it has a stigma because of it's a party drug, for it to be- then become legal through the FDA, they're going to be pretty strict about it. So it has to have kind of overwhelmingly beneficial effects. And I love that it's able to create that and it's safe. And we're getting yeah. real close. That might be a fantastic way for people to work through real serious traumas that, if you think about it, therapy and psychology is not that old of a science, right? We've been doing math for thousands of years. I mean, this is how they build the pyramids. But, I mean, Freud was really the start of thinking about the internal brain. That's not true. Who did it before that? Plato, dude. Come no, on. I mean philosophers, kinda. Come on, it's not, but it's not the same. That wasn't really like a science. They, okay. They, yeah, I mean they weren't. Agree to disagree, but you're right. It's not an old science. You're definitely right on that. Right. I mean, look, philosophers. You could say that. I mean, they. I mean, they knew Plato knew that you had to get out in nature, and you. You know, there's maybe they didn't know what it was called yet, or it wasn't called psychology yet, but they were thinking about the mind and the heart and the and the way that reacts with, you know, your your personal. I mean, I guess and, I guess you're right. You could say that like every conversation between a couple of guys around a campfire, while they're making sense of their own existence, they're just trying to make sense therapy. Yeah. yeah, but like putting it into something that we use in the West. Yeah, that's like. You know, a paper that builds on another one where they're doing like using the scientific process, for example. I mean, it's fairly new. Right? Oh, it's definitely new. It's yeah. definitely new. And <sighs> and there's only so many answers we have, right? There's only so far we've got. There's certain people that have traumas that are kind of hard to identify, to get them to speak up, to get that energy out of them. Well, that's There the are thing. some people that go to therapy their whole lives, and they're stuck with certain things. Well, MDMA get gets rid of that gets rid of that wall, that barrier. It might do, and that's what I'm excited about. It might be that thing that can get you just kind of over the edge and well, it just see. it opens it opens up your mind to talk about things that you're scared to talk about without it. I'm very excited for it, though. I'm very excited. Well, there we go. Love thank it. you, Todd, for this week, and thank everybody listening. We appreciate you guys. As always, stay tuned. Um, next week, oh, I guess it's next week. We have a regular pod. The week after that, though, we will be in Austin. Uh, we are going to visit Rogan's new show. The Mothership. We're going to do a, a show from Austin, which is going to be exciting. So we're going to give you a, a real breakdown of that town. I can't wait to get that. I'm very excited. It's going to be great. Love it. Later, guys. Thanks for tuning in.
first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.